there, you lovely people, and welcome to an episode of the Bigfoot and Dogman Show with Dan. Now, Lee would normally be joining us, and uh, I do want to say I'm not 100% sure yet whether this episode is going out on our Bizarre Tales podcast as well. Um, If you are joining us on Bizarre Tales and you are thinking, oh, why has he just mentioned a different show? Well, this is the reason. We are doing a new show called the Bigfoot and Dogman Show. This would be the second episode, um, and it is about cryptids, big man and... Uh, big man? <laughs> my neck. Bigfoot and Dogman, but it's from the UK and Europe. So we're well aware that somewhere around 80 to 90% of our listeners are from America. And we feel that there is a market here that you guys probably don't know about. So... Depending on which podcast you're listening to, going forwards, you will find the Bigfoot and Dogman stories will be going onto the Bigfoot and Dogman show, and Bizarre Tales will be available for everything else. This week, guys, we are talking about quite a famous story in the UK, and it is the Black Dog of Norfolk, or is also known as Black Shuck. So... You can't look into Norfolk folklore without hearing about this famous demon dog of East Anglia, commonly known as Black Shuck, described as a big black dog with burning eyes that haunts the Norfolk coast. There are actually several variations of this intriguing giant hound, and they can vary from town to town. There are other names, they include Shock, Old Scarf, Old Rugman, the old sheep or old shep and the hateful thing the word shuck actually comes from the anglo-saxon word sucker which means devil and even in appearance the shuck can vary enormously some tales depict it as a hound as big as a cow with shaggy black coat and fierce yellow eyes and it's completely silent as it moves across the landscape In some stories, it's headless and the body of a large dog emitting smoke or flames from its neck where the head should be. Some describe it as part donkey, part dog, or with two heads, or a form created by the mists of Har, which is a sea fog. One depiction uh, has the shuck as a giant black dog with a single flaming red eye in the centre of his forehead like a cyclops. There are versions of the Shuck legend which portray the beast as less of a monster and more of a guardian of the coastal area. The Shuck used to be uh, used to belong to a couple. This is one story. It used to belong to a couple and the husband tragically died at sea and is buried near the wreck in Yarmouth, Great Yarmouth that is in Norfolk. Back at home in Hunstanton, his wife receives the news and dies of heartbreak leaving the shuck alone. Since that day, the shuck has been padding between the two locations along the coast, and it's supposedly visiting both owners in their separate graves and protecting the coast that they loved so much. There is a possibility that the shuck legend originates in the early Middle Ages, a time of Scandinavian occupation in the form of the Vikings in the 9th century. The Danes held control of much of East Anglia and at that time it was known as Danelaw. Their their intricate culture 
took root in the land as well. The great Norse god Odin was said to send his hunting hounds Geri and Freki to East Anglia with the Vikings. They padded along the coast, protecting the Viking settlers from the Saxons. It would also make sense that as Christians, the Saxons would therefore see the dogs as a minion of the devil. This was due to their prejudice against other beliefs and their views carried on other faiths across Europe. Now, the one question you say is, how many people have actually seen Black Shuck? You know, it's it's a, an interesting story, but how popular is it? Is this just a once one-time thing? Now, usually the stories of sightings of Shuck are quite similar in their telling. A lone person, sometimes on horseback or in more modern accounts, on a motorbike or a bicycle, travelling through the rural Norfolk coast often across sea cliffs or coastal roads, the land around them is quite empty. A cold wind blowing across the treetops, suddenly the wind drops and the perpetrator finds themselves feeling alone, but not alone. Now, for those of you who have had similar experiences, you know what we're talking about here, where you know you're alone, but there's just that feeling in the back of your head that there's something there, something you can't see. As they look over their shoulder, they're horrified to find an enormous dog, as big as a large cow, padding silently behind them, often described as keeping pace and a wicked glint in its fiery eyes. Some describe lashing out at the dog, either by throwing something or aiming at it with forceful kicks or smacks, but these attacks just seem to pass through the creature. As soon as the person comes to the realisation that they are at the hound's mercy, it disappears. Often, this is followed by a death in the family, or of the individual themselves. The shuck is often seen as an omen of death. So we're going to go through a couple of these stories. This is the Black Shuck of Bungay. The most famous story involving the shuck took place just over the border of Norfolk in Suffolk at the Church of Bungay. On August the 4th, 1577, the church was filled with parishioners in prayer. Outside, a vicious storm howled, battering the doors and windows violently, and making the entire church appear as though it was shaking. The terrified people offered up their prayer to their God to save them, but it was not God who answered the prayers. With an almighty bang, the church doors were thrown wide open, causing the roar of wind and rain to increase as it found its way inside. There, in the doorway, its black fur matted from the rain, eyes burning like red-hot coals in the night, stood the black shuck. With a chilling growl, it charged into the church, bounding between the terrified onlookers. It moved along the people with great speed, taking two of them around the head with its jaws and breaking their necks with ease. It bit another in the back, and he seemed to shrivel and turn black like leather thrown on a fire. Before anyone had time to react, the beast was gone as quickly as it appeared. It is reported that Shuck then made his own way to the church in Blytheburg, 
where a similar thing happened. The only evidence of its rampage being the large scorch marks in the door where it had burst through. These marks can still be seen on the church door today, nearly 500 years later. It is worth noting that on that date it is recorded that a great storm was indeed raging over the area and at some point in the day a bolt of lightning struck the tower. Two men in the belfry were actually killed immediately and a third was badly burned. It is very probable that this is originally what happened and the story was later turned into a sermon about a punishment by a demon dog, a fire and brimstone preacher named Reverend Abraham Fleming produced a pamphlet of the so-called event, A Strange and Terrible Wonder. In it was his own story that involved the shuck that was outlined above. The Black Hound of Bickering Hall, Blickering Hall, sorry, this is another story. One of the most bizarre versions of the legend takes place around Blickering Hall in Norfolk, in the 17th century, the hall was owned by a knight and a politician, Sir Henry Hobart, the fourth baronet. He had a reputation for being argumentative, rude and problematic to his neighbours. We all have one of those. Often creating disputes around money or land with them. Henry had also fought under William of Orange at the Battle of Boyne in Ireland and was an adept swordsman. In 1698, Henry became enraged when, after putting himself in considerable debt with a political campaign, he was actually defeated. He believed that it was due to rumours circulating around the Boyne campaign and that he had acted like a coward. For some reason, Henry decided to blame this on a local lawyer and fishing enthusiastic, enthusiast Oliver Leneuve. Oliver was far more popular among his neighbours, but after having his reputation attacked by Henry, he challenged him to a duel. With only a nearby servant girl to witness the duel, both men met on Corson's Heath and proceeded to draw swords. Henry was a superior swordsman and apparently wounded Oliver in the arm. The tables turned, however, when Henry's sword uh, and the point of his sword got caught in his opponent's coat, giving Oliver room to thrust his sword into Henry's stomach, a, a wound that would then prove fatal. The history turns to folklore at the funeral of Henry Hobart. After dying of his wound in the hall itself, his family buried his body in the grounds. During the service, a dog came and sat at the feet of the sexton whining loudly. Later that day, Henry's body was found torn from the ground and from his lead coffin and laid out on the grass. The family attempted to bury him again, this time in the woods nearby, but the common ground spat his body out again. His body was finally weighted with stones and lowered into the lake. A few days later, the gamekeeper caught a monstrous eel from the waters while fishing, 
although it looked evil in appearance, he took it home to cook in his stew. Putting the eel into his cooking pot, the gamekeeper went about his business at home. As he potted about, he heard a strange sound coming from the pot. Inside, the eel was thrashing around in the pot, in the boiling hot water, and suddenly an explosion of steam, and it disappeared. In its place, next to the upturned pot, stood a huge black dog with the eyes of Henry Hobart. It growled at him and took off through the thin wooden door in the hut. After the release of the hound, it seemed the estate became cursed. Henry's son caught smallpox. The gamekeeper who, uh, who had caught the eel himself, the estate cook, went completely insane. The milk from the estate dairy went sour and the crops failed to bloom. At last, the family sent word to London for help from a famous wizard. He whistled across the park and the land seven times. By the seventh whistle, the black dog came padding across the grass and fawned at his feet. It was then taken to the south-east tower and locked inside. This lifted the curse and keeping the evil locked in the tower. The story doesn't end there though. In the 1860s, William Kerr, the 8th Marquis of Lothian, owned the hall. One day his sister was sitting in the drawing room of the home, as she often did, and out of the blue she was startled by a large black dog dashing through the room and disappearing behind a tapestry. The next morning, her brother, who knew nothing of the dog, came in and announced that the fam that they had finally broken through the blocked-up entrance to the southeast tower. It was finally open again after being sealed for two centuries. The same tower that Shuck was supposedly sealed away in all those years ago. Since then, the Shuck has been seen on a couple of occasions. During the Second World War, an airman walking from Alsham to his base in Alton looked across the moonlit grounds of Blickering Hall. He reported seeing a huge black dog observing him from a little distance away. Its mouth was open as if it was howling or roaring, but he couldn't hear any sound. The dog observed him for a few seconds, filling him with a sense of dread before vanishing into thin air. And in 2003, a visitor to the hall saw a huge black dog on the crossroads at Abel Heath in the grounds in a similar incident. So, maybe the huge dog was released by Kerr back into the grounds and once more haunts Blickering Hall. It is worth noting that the real Henry Hobart is buried in the family vaults at Blickering and the location of his fateful jewel is immortalised with a stone plinth urn inside a small fenced area just off the Norwich Road in Corston. So, that's two stories, but is there any more? Well, the answer is yes. The South Southery Shuck. Now, in the village of Southery, between Ely and Downham Market, was still an island out in the fens in the early Middle Ages, 
and it is said that the monks from Ely travelled there in order to construct the first Christian church. They were met by local pagan fensmen. These were traditional people living in reed huts and fishing off, living off eels and fish. They took offence to these strangers wading into their lands and demanding the right to enforce their own religion on the locals. Didn't stop the monks, they constructed nonetheless, and the locals responded by killing several monks. The abbot, in retaliation, sent many armed soldiers onto the fens to slaughter the locals. Those men were also found butchered, having misjudged the ability of the fen folk to use their natural environment to their advantage. In frustration, the abbot turned to the Baron of Northwold, whose lands included Southry, for help. Baron had already lost many men uh, in his previous attempts to dis- displace the people of the Fens. He did not want to lose more. Instead, he sent a huge pack of wolfhounds to protect the monks. The wolfhounds, once in the Fens, started feeding on the bodies of the armed men and monks killed by the fensmen before. They seemed to get a taste for human flesh, as after the bodies they turned on the monks themselves and became a threat to them themselves. The surviving monks fled from the fens and to avoid the now rampaging hounds, the fensmen moved deeper into the wetlands. With no more people to eat, the large dogs turned on one another. Only a cunning and very large single female hound survived. Eventually she grew weak from hunger and was rescued by the fensmen who trained her to hunt the baron's deer to supply them with fresh meat. Eventually the monks returned to attempt to finish the church again. Although the dog was friendly with the local people, she would reportedly growl at the Christians that came near. One year, the hound disappeared for a week, prompting concern from the fensmen. She soon returned, her paws cut and bleeding as if she'd walked for miles. It soon became apparent that she was pregnant. With no wild wolves around this part of England, the monks nearby suspected the wolf was pregnant with the devil's child. The young pup that was born indeed looked as though it was a cross between a hound and a wolf. It grew happily amongst the fen folk, and after the mother had passed, resumed the work of fetching fresh meat for the locals. As it grew, the puppy became as big as an ox. At last, the Christians managed to complete their church on the land, and the Bishop of North Elsham rode over to consecrate the building. Among his followers was a soldier who had been present when the wolf pack had started attacking the monks. He was determined to find and kill the creature once and for all. Entering the village that the hound called home, alongside the other soldiers, the man attacked the large dog, but to his horror he was immediately overcome and his throat was torn out by by his fellow quarry. In response, his fellow soldiers loosed a barrage of arrows at the hound, and several pierced its side. 
Howling in pain, the poor creature retreated into the reeds and the wetlands, never to be seen again. Since that date, it has been said that the angry howls of the hound can be heard at midnight on May the 29th each year. Anyone who hears them will supposedly be dead within the year. The original church that the monks built now lies in ruins and a replacement was built in 1858. If you go and look at the cornerstones of the old charnel house, you may see what looks like large teeth marks. It is said that the wolfhound has been trying to bite its way through the wall for centuries, trying to get to the bones of the monks that rested inside. Although the bones are no longer present, the locals still avoid the ruins at night. When the shadows are long, it's just possible that there could be an enormous hound with a thirst for Christian blood hiding nearby. So, as you can tell, some of these stories are basically they're legends. So these are two, three hundred year old stories and they have resonated with the people of Norfolk. Now these stories are still spoken about today. And there are still sightings today. You know, you're going back to the Second World War. Someone saw something very similar in 2003. There are supposedly sightings quite regularly. But the major stories are hundreds of years old. And maybe maybe that's, you know, it, it is just one of those myths and legends. However... There are modern day stories. So if you visit Norfolk and especially Bungay today, you will find that the legend of the Shuck still runs strong amongst the locals. Bungay actually hosts a Black Shuck festival every year, and several references being found amongst street names and statues, plaques and street arts, buildings and local beers. Um, so it's good to know that its ancient part of is still live and strong in the culture today. You only need to go back a couple of generations to hear people's supposed personal experiences with the shuck. Many uh, a local pub in the rural areas contain people who will gleefully recount how a neighbour or a relative had a run, run-in with the spectral animal. It seems that the legend of Black Shuck is here to stay, and the stories are forever evolving. Centuries of retelling has led to the legend taking on a fluid nature, varying in many ways. It has also become personal to some people, with, in some places, the legend differing from household to household. Like with most of these local folklores, there is still a strong theme don't go out alone at night or don't go into a dangerous rural area. Um, It's basically a case of respecting the world that's around you and respecting the landscape because you don't know when you might be the next person walking along to hear the padding paws behind you and meet your inevitable impending doom. So there we go, the story of Black Shuck. Now, it would have been nice to have Lee with us today um, just to, to talk about this afterwards. We do normally do a little bit of a 
a chat about these stories after, but I would actually like you guys to let us know. So firstly, let us know where you've heard this story. So for those of you who are on the um, the Facebook group, obviously you are on the Bizarre Tales Facebook group. So um, if you've heard it on a different podcast, if you've heard this story on our uh, Big Man and Dogfoot, Big Man, I keep saying Big Man, Bigfoot and Dogman show, if you've heard it on that one, then obviously let us know that you've come across it. If you've... Um, stumbled across it from a separate um account if you've come across the bigfoot and dogman show but have never listened to bizarre tales then uh join us on facebook over there let us know that you found us uh, found our new show and maybe you'll want to listen to some of our our bizarre tales episodes as well but we do normally do a little bit of a, a breakdown of these shows afterwards unfortunately uh lee is not with us tonight so you have to deal with just me um I hope I've done this story justice because it is quite interesting and I actually lived in Norfolk for probably only about 12 months um, and I distinctly remember seeing things about this. Um, the, there were pubs called The Black Dog. Um, yeah, I, I vaguely remember seeing things about this but never really put two and two together. So yeah, this is the first I've really researched into it and it makes a lot of sense now, you know, some of the things that I remember seeing when I lived in Norfolk. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think. Let us know if you think any of these stories are potentially true. Um, I think, personally, there's a high potential this is a story to keep kids away from the fens, um, for those of you who know the Norfolk Fens, they are quite dangerous, especially if you don't know your way around. I think it's possibly a warning to stay away from certain places at night. But when you talk about sort of like the marks on the church door still being there nearly 500 years later, it does throw in a little bit of the question of you know, is there a little bit of truth to these stories? So, I don't know. I'm not sure with this one. It's, uh, um, I am, for those of you who know the show, I am the more sceptical one uh, between me and Lee. But I do, I do think there is something to this story. I think there's more to it than what we, what we know. And again, when you, you know, when they say things like, um, if you hear it or you see it, then you've got that impending doom hanging over your head that either you're going to die or someone in your family is going to die. Uh, it's like an omen of death. I can't imagine there are many volunteers to go out and find out whether this is true or not. I certainly know I'm not volunteering for it. I do say this every time though, guys. Get involved. You know, drop us a message. you you know we're on facebook we're on bizarre tales on facebook you can uh, email us at supernaturalpod at gmail.com lee normally puts the links in for this so keep an eye out for them and we will see you on the other side mm-hmm.